1: This is Pop Culture Confidential, and I'm Christina Yerling Biru. Welcome to Pop Culture Confidential. My wonderful guest and friend of the show, critic and author, Thelma Adams is here. I'm so happy to have you back. It's a pleasure.
0: And there's so, so, so much to talk about in terms of TV. So it's a
1: feast. It's a feast. We have a great big TV conversation planned. We're going to talk about some of our favorite things right now. Some really interesting themes and trends that we've seen out there in the ether as well as the state of the industry in general. Are you ready? I am ready. Why don't we start with the Netflix of it all? So Netflix lost more than 50 billion in market value in one day last month and pretty significant subscriber losses they fired a whole bunch of really talented writers and people f- from their tadum fan site project after just launching it five months ago. Has the right. streamer bubble finally burst? What actually happened here?
0: I don't think the streamer bubble has burst. I also think the fact that you paused before you said the word to <laughs> I mean, calling Yahoo Yahoo was not too wise either, but... I think that they they hired a bunch of really good journalists to write journalistic features about um, Netflix shows, and they'd been bleeding money, and this was just something they could cut that was expensive, that they could cut easily, that hadn't embedded itself. I think the Kim Masters article in the Hollywood Reporter is a must-read about what's going on. I mean, Kim Masters is just a master. She's been writing about Hollywood for so long and so well. Her basic thing was that it's an internal problem that this is this often happens. The people who end up playing the best internal politics can win without it being the best thing for the whole platform. They hired the best and got rid of the best. There is this kind of thing of we're going to make all this content, we're going to throw it up onto the site and then see how it fares. So there's a lot of very interesting content that people don't see because it's not necessarily marketed correctly. I think that this year, all the money and all the energy that went into power of the dog, um, commissioning it, making it, all the money they spent taking it around, and then it it getting 12 nominations, but one win, which is still amazing. But I think there's retrenchment. I think that some of the more, I know that some of the more creative people who stepped in and created the infrastructure and then were pushed out.
1: Now, one of the things that Kim Masters writes about in her article is this sort of culture of fear that took over and that Cindy Holland was one of the ones who played a key role in launching the service originally and just brilliantly brought things like Orange is the New Black and Stranger Things and and seemed to clash with Sarando's volume strategy that you were talking about. she also warned him about but we can't buy ourselves an oscar it seems like he didn't want that criticism so she is gone
0: (laughs) you know what it's a shark tank these kind of places are a shark tank and it lost a lot of value and i would say when we talk about shows that we love there are still netflix shows that are fantastic it's in no way the end of netflix but it is a big shift. And, the, and I think part of that is external and that now there are so many streamers that people are, in a sense, confused about
1: how many they should have. Uh, that's what I'm hearing all the time. I remember just last year, we would still talk about things together, like say a mayor of East Town talked about like White Lotus. No one is watching the same thing at the same time right now. There's so much volume and even the stuff that season twos that are coming back or the last season of Saul. Everyone's like, oh, I'm so behind because I started Barry and then I started this. And right. I think that's a problem for I think the discussion around TV, the water cooler talk is really is more necessary. We're realizing that now. Right. What's the
0: water cooler thing at this moment? In part you have to say the herd debt tribe. Exactly. (laughs) That's because everybody seems to love true crime and courtroom dramas. And that is actually it. (laughs) So but again, there's so much choice. And the question
1: then becomes like, how many hours does a family spend in front of the TV? There's a recession. There's geopolitical tension. Like markets like China are, are you know harder to access. We have post COVID and COVID, things are rough. It's so weird that at the same time we're talking about that there's so much and at the same time things are really difficult. So I'm wondering if we're going to see less. CNN Plus died less than a month. Swift top of the
0: hour death. I mean, and I would say Paramount Plus. Which is another thing. Has I just watched the new Star Trek Strange New Worlds, which is fantastic. And you can only see it at Paramount Plus. And there's a and they're doing Picard. So all so Paramount Plus has a strategy in some sense. You take a gold-plated brand like Star Trek and you take it boldly out into the future. More. Yeah. <laughs> So that seems to be work. You have to have like Disney, exactly. I was just has thinking all of the Marvel stuff
1: and all the Disney stuff and all the Pixar stuff. You, if you have a family, you know that there's something for everyone. It's very clear what they have on their right platform.
0: So, nonetheless, it's just it's a feast. There's so much good stuff to watch, and I'm watching more TV now than I ever did.
1: Well, let's move on to what we're watching. We've been emailing a few things back and forth, and we have a few of the same ones. And I want to start with one that I'm also really enjoying, and that's Tokyo Vice. Tokyo Tell Vice. me about that.
0: Okay, Tokyo Vice, I love. It's HBO Max. It. The only problem with it is that only it drops like one a week on Thursdays, and I'm so spoiled that I'm used to just... Tokyo Vice is from the man who created Miami Vice, Michael Mann, who also did a... TV show called Crime Story that was a binge-worthy show set in Chicago and Vegas with Dennis, the late Dennis Farina that was like The Sopranos before The Sopranos, or like these kind of shows before we had them. And, and it's also available on Roku and a bunch of places. But Tokyo Story is great because it stars the amazing Ken Watanabe, a, a Japanese actor, and he's opposite Ansel Elgort. <laughs> from The Fault in Our Stars and West Side Story. And it is particularly the pilot, which was shot by Michael Mann, who remains one of, he's just such a great director, but the story is very complicated
1: and interesting. It's, it's based on Jack Adelstein's nonfiction firsthand account of the Tokyo Metropolitan Police. He was hired the, as the first American crime reporter at Mechu Shiboom I think it's called the, the newspaper and it's right. mm-hmm. I also thought it was just a great pilot. I know that there are some things with it first of all the Ansel Elgort of it all.. Um, he has some allegations against him. He was not part of the West Side Story press tour, for example. And then also, I know that there's been some articles about the book itself. And if Jake is sort of exaggerating some of the stories that he has right. in the Tokyo underworld. But even so, um, if I'm, I'm not looking at it with those eyes, I thought it was really exciting and interesting to be in both the journalism world and the police world. I think, you know, as someone who came through the New York Post and that
0: newsroom, which was still kind of the Wild West, it it hadn't moved uptown, it was still, you know, on South Street. And then you look at this newsroom and you see how controlled it is and how risk averse and how not freewheeling it is. It's just a fascinating story of the traditions of Japan and also the way that Western people can fall in love with the Japanese lifestyle. That's a, that's a case in this. They can fall in love with it, but they don't exactly understand the rules. So there's a lot of breaching of rules, getting in trouble, those things with the lead. When he's pushing for a story, He's pushing it away that is very un-Japanese.
1: The culture clashes are really interesting. And also, um, if you've seen
0: Pachinko, if you've read the book, there's also his boss is Korean. So in a Japanese newsroom, she's female and Korean. So you see also her struggles to be heard, to write the stories she wants, and yet to show respect to her superiors. I think everywhere you every direction you turn, it's interesting. I find Ansel Elgort, all of the past aside. I just don't I just don't want to today. (laughs) At first I'm like, he's such a big giraffe. And he's not entirely likable. And yet that's what makes him a great character. He isn't the hero.
1: He's a complicated character.
0: He's a complicated character.
1: We're moving on to another nonfiction book. So this is one trend we've we've come to see that is based on Baltimore Sun reporter Justin Fenton's book, We Own the City, David Simon about the Baltimore streets again. The rise and fall of a department called Gun Trace Task Force, which I had not Excellent.
0: heard. Excellent. Good, good that you were able to say that. Yeah,
1: right. I'd never so heard bad. about it because
0: I wrote it like seven times, and every time I tried to write it, I was like, "What is it
1: called? The gun?" <laughs> Ronaldo Marcus Green is the director who we know from recently from King Richard. I think John Berenthal's first opening monologue is incredible. And I absolutely love Dagmara Dominsic. Oh. She's in succession and lost daughter. And she's married to, I want to, oh God, Patrick. I know who you mean, the actor.
0: Who does all the conjuring movies, mm-hmm. among many other things.
1: I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing her name wrong. So, why do you think people should be watching this? if we have The Wire and Baltimore and all this already in the back of our heads.
0: The thing about We Own This City is, and it's also George Pelicanos who has worked with Simon before. And he's really, you know, he's a kind of a noir mystery, hard-boiled kind of guy. And so when you mentioned at the beginning, there's this five-minute monologue that John Bernthal, who's the central character, who is a dirty cop, He's complicated, but he is- <laughs> he gives this five minute speech, which is kind of a brave thing just to, to throw down in a police, basically procedural to do to stop and do five minutes. And he sets everything out. And yet, you know, he's lying. It's a it's a speech to new recruits and he's telling them how the police force works. And that's not how he works. <laughs> so that's. Ronaldo Marcus Green, who is the director, who directs all of them, is really good in the scenes of interaction between the various policemen, the Justice Department. What's really sad about it, what's really interesting and sad is that you thought things were bad in The Wire. And yet here's something that takes place, give or take, is like 2017. So it just shows what a wild west location, the Baltimore police is. You know, one of the things that we see when you take something from a book or you take it from a podcast is like granular ways in which things unfold. So you have these scenes where the cops go in and they're doing raids. And yes, they're getting guns and drugs off the streets but they're grabbing the cash and stuffing it down their vests. They know that they're doing something wrong, except that they also are like, well, why should the criminals have all this cash and we're working here under dangerous conditions? It's also the context of that there was an incident like a George Floyd incident that where the the Baltimore police arrested an innocent man who had a legal knife and they put him in the back of a police van and they in handcuffs and they didn't buckle him in so basically he was shaken in the back of this van as they hit all those baltimore potholes and by the time this 25 year old man got to the police precinct he had extreme spinal injuries and ultimately died So it's set in a Baltimore that where the police are not seen as safe, trustworthy, you know, so then when the police are just trying to find, you know, a murderer, no one wants to talk to them. I highly recommend it.
1: Pachinko, Severance, and Station Eleven were a few of my favorites. I've talked so much about those, so I'm just going to mention that they were and keep going with this theme, because apparently there's an unceasing parade of teeming dramas inspired by true stories and nonfiction books. I don't know if you're watching Under the Banner of Heaven. No, tell me about it. It's based also on a nonfiction book by John Krakauer. He investigated juxtaposed two stories, the origin and evolution of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and a modern-day double murder committed in the name of, of God by a couple of Mormon brothers, the Lafferty brothers, so it's a true story. And Andrew Garfield plays a Mormon detective, and Daisy Edgar-Jones stars in it as well. It's really interesting because it's by Dustin Lance Black, who wrote Milk, All right. Yeah, and he grew up Mormon, and he won he won the Oscar award for Milk. Milk. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. Andrew Garfield is really, really good. His career is gonna be incredible um, if he keeps choosing all these different projects that he's doing. I think the part in the series that's the history of the Mormon Church is is probably not as good as the murder story, and which is more of a. I don't want to say too much. That's why I'm yeah, sort of yeah, struggling yeah, 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 for words yeah. here. But, but how Andrew Garfield as the Mormon detective is doubting his own faith while he has to look into these gruesome murders in his own community. I thought that the first couple episodes were really interesting. Another true crime, Gaslit. Gaslit. Based on a podcast and also, in a way, true crime. I mean, political true crime. It's completely true
0: crime. Yeah, I would say. And also because it's from a podcast and as someone who loves cereal but doesn't, I, I haven't listened to a bunch of true crime podcasts. <laughs> I tend to listen to meditation tapes or <laughs> political, but... It's granular, that's what I find interesting about this is that the details are so specific and researched. And in journalism, we call it the tick tock which is the what happened first, second, third, fourth. The way they lay this all out is fantastic but really at the center is Julia Roberts who produced and presumably from all the material that came to her, decided that this was the thing she wanted to do. And I always find she plays Martha Mitchell, the wife of John Mitchell, who was in charge of the White House plumber's operation and interface directly with Richard Nixon.
1: For the Watergate. The Watergate. I
0: always find that Julia is at her best when she has a bitchy streak (laughs) or when there's a hard part of her, you know? And so I think that now as she as she embraces that, I think she's a better actress.
1: The two of them together, Julia Roberts and Sean Penn are just a a joy to see. And one of the things um, you mentioned, we were talking beforehand was that this is one trend with women over 40 that we are seeing and we have a lot of returning anti heroes. We have Barry Berkman and Barry, we have Saul. But this talk about this rise in sort of middle aged women carrying the narrative.
0: You know, 10 years ago when I was talking to actresses in their 30s and 40s, and um, there was a real frustration that they were not carrying the narrative, that even if they were a star in a movie, they were the sister, the daughter, the mother, the wife. And so what we see now and what TV made possible to a certain extent is things like Tony Collette in Pieces of Her, Tony Collette in The Staircase that starts today with Opposite Colin. There's an upcoming Night Sky with Sissy Spacek starring opposite J.K. Simmons. And there's just All of these female-driven shows, and even something like Star Trek, which is giant ensemble and has always been diverse, has always had women, the current Star Trek that's coming out has the Uhura origin story. So there's this change that's happening that's also about for women to be producers, writers, and directors, that there are always talented women who could do it but didn't get the opportunity All of this content, all of this TV has expanded that, and that changes what we see. So then we do see things like the the one about uh, chess.
1: Queen's Gambit.
0: Queen's Gambit, where even in the Queen's Gambit, the mother character is interesting and has a story. We are starting to see women as characters in full.
1: Yeah, even the supporting characters are getting a backstory And also in terms of like the real scammer, Anna Delvey, we have The Dropout, we have Plainville, which many of them are also written and produced by women. And
0: I think The Dropout is the one that I like the most. In that case, Amanda Seyfried plays a woman I don't, you know, that we've never seen before. Mm -hmm. Someone who, you know, straight A kind of nerd that becomes a swan and then,
1: Puts a lot of people's lives in jeopardy. Puts
0: a lot of people's lives in jeopardy.
1: I also think there's a couple of comedies that are really driven by women that I thought are excellent this year. Abbott Elementary with Quinta Brunson, who stars, and she's the showrunner as well, is a second grade teacher at Abbott Elementary in Philadelphia. And it's basically sort of an office type mockumentary style.
0: Crazy, the crazy uh, principal. Fantastic
1: supporting cast. I think Cheryl Lee Ralph is going to get an Emmy nomination. And it's just sweet and what we need right now. As well as a show called I Love That For You, which is Vanessa Bayer. She lies about that her childhood cancer has come back so that she can get a job at this channel, which has been her dream. <laughs> it's, it's funny and there's some, you know, sharp humor. But most of all, it stars Molly Shannon, who to me is just a national treasure. I mean, she can just sit and look at a wall and I think she's funny. I just want to get in here. Recommend her memoir, "Hello Molly," is incredible. If you want some reading, ah. starts off with a horrible childhood tragedy that sort of led her. Through. That I re- that I remember, but yeah. But
0: she also but,
1: is just she's good hearted. She's good hearted and a life of comedy, and also what you're talking about, how what it's like for women in the industry, and of course at SNL. No, super. Both of those are are nice if you want a little breather from the true crime nonfiction murder stories yeah. yeah my
0: you know as my mother my mother's like i just don't want dead bodies anymore i'll like tell her oh this procedural is really good she's like you know what no dead bodies
1: but see enough of that on the news exactly we have enough of everything at the moment but uh, you were talking about another trend and that's sort of the viking oh the
0: viking thing okay this is what makes me crazy so the Northman came out recently, um, Robert Eggers, who I love. He did The Witch, fantastic. Some people love The Lighthouse, some people don't, but at least he was doing, going out on a limb. The Vikings, The Northman with Alexander Skarsgård, many people have gone to see, and I'm sorry, who doesn't like Alexander Skarsgård in a loincloth? But there is a problem there in that film critics looked at it as an Eggers film. It did not do well at the box office and they were trying to figure out like why that would be and why that is, is the the history channel a number of years ago started a show Viking. And there's also the last King.
1: Vikings, what his brother is actually in it. Gustavskosch.
0: Yeah. He's great in, in this. But my, my point is that TV had for a long time, there were no Vikings in stories. In, our, in stories that, that I had seen. And then the History Channel and then these with between these three shows, they refined how they show the Viking life, the Viking adventures and the interface with England. In, in the past, we you know often the things we've seen are English and the Vikings are not understandable. They're just evil marauders. And these shows turned it around and slowly showed how the Vikings fought, how women were a part of that, what their spirituality, what... They became incredibly detailed so that the most recent one, Vikings Valhalla, with a showrunner is Jeb Stuart, who wrote The Fugitive. So someone who really knows how to tell a good story. You had all these kick-ass women in it, kick-ass men and interesting characters and you get a sense of the religion. You get a sense of the clashes between Christianity and you could call it paganism. I don't. And it's all very interesting. It all, still has all the fights and the guys in loincloths and all of that stuff. But it's much more detailed and nuanced than this Hamlet in a Box, which is the Northmen. And I found that Film critics weren't aware of all in general TV was ahead of ahead of this. They weren't watching those shows and they had really charismatic actors but not famous actors at mm. the time and um I I just feel like there's a disconnect because in contrast the Northman seems pretentious and it doesn't really add to what we've already learned except we do get to see Alexander Skarsgard. I think, I think my central point is not that I didn't enjoy The Northman, but there was, in criticizing it, there was a lack of awareness that this was already happening on TV and was done, I think, better.
1: Well, I wanted to end up here and talk about a few disappointments this oh. spring. Do you have one, anyone you want to start off with?
0: You know, I watched Anatomy of a Scandal, which I really loved, but I started to watch scan- the other... A very British scandal with Claire Foy and Paul Beck, the Duke and Duchess of Argyle. Famous scandal. I love Claire Foy. After a point, it was so dark. They were so awful. Yeah, They were so awful. I was like, you know what? That's the thing. There's a lot of good stuff to watch. And I don't see any need to watch.
1: Right. I have one of those that's unfair. To- and that's Winning Time, the Adam oh, McKay. Winning
0: Time, which I've watched a chunk of. Tell me.
1: I saw the first one, so it's a bit unfair to say. I, I just couldn't get past the Adam McKay of it all. I think I've just seen him do those moves again and again, you know, with the fast editing and the texts coming over the screen and people talking into the camera. And I just Good or bad, I just felt like, yeah, yeah, I know what this is going to be. And I know it's gotten a lot of criticism from several of the players who feel they haven't been portrayed in the right way. One that I, that I was so waiting for, this was the offer about the making of Francis Ford Coppola's Godfather. That was a disappointment. Yeah. Alan Sepinwall in in Rolling Stone said it was a parody of prestige TV and just a low point (laughs) in television. (laughs) but it's a, such a missed opportunity because they've just sort of bounced from cliche to cliche. So like using little references and quotes from the Godfather and, and cliches and way too much exposition in the beginning in a way that you don't really get to know the intrigue between the characters. Um, oh. but that was unfortunate because I really, I was really looking forward to that because that's sort of my genre. <laughs>
0: The, for the Lakers series, I've watched part of it. I haven't watched mm-hmm. it all. I've watched, and I like John C. Riley. Yes. But it goes really skanky really fast. <laughs> so the thing is, I mean, this brings us back. It's that there's so much to watch that you really got to, you have to make choices, and you have and to grab time.
1: that viewer, you know, if you're not into Adam McKay at the moment, which I wasn't after that, his latest movie, what's it called? The Climate Change, that was Oscar. Yeah, I think people are sick of him, McKay.
0: He's not saying enough with all the pieces that he has in place, all the, all the stars he has access to. He's kind of beating the same drum.
1: Yeah, it's like he's all style and no substance at the moment he produces my all-time favorite series in succession, so it's not that I don't... When he started doing these type of movies, um, I thought they were really interesting. Big short and things like that, but then it's like, that's all he does. Extreme amount of irony and satire and a lot of just sort of style things sort of vomited at the screen. (laughs) Yeah. You know,
0: it's, it's interesting, I think... Because we talk about how much there is to see. But then there's also this big archive. So if you like, um, we own this city and you haven't seen the wire, you're not leaving the house for a month, you know, because that's so good. Or again, it's like saying, okay, well, I really like Michael Mann. I really like Tokyo Vice go back and see crime story which is available but also go and watch miami vice Mm -hmm. or on mhz we have a great show called amsterdam vice i basically will watch anything all vices vice i would watch (laughs) it would be top of
1: my list so thelma what are you looking forward to if anything
0: what am i looking forward to in terms of what i'm going to see next i'm looking forward to seeing the sissy spacex jk simmons um Night Sky is the one that I'm and I'm singing the praises of the newest Star Trek Strange New Days. My review came out in the rap, and I have been married for 35 years to answer the question like, are you Star Trek or Star Wars? I have been married to a Star Trek junkie addict. So in the past 35 years, I have watched all the Star Treks from the beginning. You know, together, we watched them all. So he he sat next to me as I reviewed it. And he was like, oh, that's from the original pilot. Oh, she's related to Khan of Wrath of Khan. Like I love it.
1: Was- it's so romantic. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of realized that,
0: yeah, you know, after 35, we're still watching the same stuff. Although I don't like opera. And he would really like it if I sat and watched the whole ring cycle with him. Well, now that
1: you've helped him, now that he's helped you with your review, I think you should give him an opera. Okay. (laughs) Uh, I'll tell him that
0: and he will say yes. She is right. (laughs) Quid pro quo.
1: (laughs) Thelma, thank you so much. My pleasure, Christina.